Well, we uh, I was looking for some stuff about the spring tune-ups. Found a pretty good article about the danger of unserviced gear. Oh, okay. My thought is um, we'll talk a little bit about you know getting your gear serviced for the year and um, refreshers because those have been we've had a big rush of people coming in looking for refresher classes lately. So, and this guy dies because he blew it off. It's kind of f- more fitting for us. Okay. But it's got a lot of a lot of our stuff in it, like unawareness, out of shape, working too hard because your gear fails, CO two leading to heart attack. You know, just yeah. all those classic stories that people just blow off. And the guy's name is Dick. Okay, well, nothing wrong with that, I guess. For a little juvenile humor. <laughs> Yeah, a little bit of that. The Great Dive Podcast is hosted by your buddies, James and Brando. It is. It's the word on the street. The sun's out again. Skies are blue. Birds are chirping. Weather's warming up a little. And in Michigan, that means we might get 18 inches of snow next week. Yeah. It'll melt by the evening, but in the meantime, it'll be (laughs) a disaster. Yeah, ice storms. That's what I always remember of uh, bringing everybody to their knees in Easter, that Easter range is the old oh, ice right. storms, you know, trees coming down. And- well, a couple of years ago, you and I were down in Pompano Beach, mm-hmm. right, right about this time, middle of April. Oh, yeah. I, th- I saw a memory pop up. And it was a huge ice storm up here. And my wife kindly let me know very specifically about how <laughs> inconvenient it was. For you Me to have being gone. gone, hanging out in Pompano Beach. Did you say, well, you should have came along. I don't get you. <laughs> right? You could have come. Yeah. Oh. Well. oh, I'm sorry. You have a real job? You know, you know what you do, then, <laughs> is you say, yeah, real. Uh, you tell them the old story about we all make our own sandwiches. That's you right. You say, hey, honey, listen. That was the sandwich you made. You wanted somehow, somewhere deep in your unconscious psyche, and you and the universe had a chat, and you wanted to stay here through it. You really deep down wanted this. 
and you wanted me to be in Pompano. Yeah, you basically brought this on yourself. <laughs> you caused this. <laughs> this is your fault. <laughs> now make sure the power's back on before I get home. Otherwise, no point in me leaving. <laughs> exactly. Why would I come home to uh, no power? But as we approach the springtime here in Michigan in the Great Lakes area, this is often a time where divers are looking to get back into the swing of spring and get ready to go diving again. And we've had a bit of a rush at at my shop lately of divers looking for scuba review type classes to kind of get them back back in the swing of things, uh, springtime trips, shooting on down to Florida, getting the heck out of uh, Michigan for the last tail end of the, the cold weather, get prepped for spring, gear is coming in for service, and that's something that we have to think about as scuba divers. Agreed. So welcome back to the Great Dive Refresher Course podcast, everybody. You are here with the ever-fresh James E. Mott. And you're here with Old Stale Brando. <laughs> I was gonna say Captain Tune Up. Captain Tune Up. I like that. Captain Tune Up's not not so bad. At least you're a captain. Right. You're captain of something. Now, as scuba divers, we all know that there's certainly some dangers that we face when we go scuba diving, you know, being that we're going into a hostile foreign environment where human existence is not really conducive we have to take a bunch of equipment with us and we're fighting a game a little bit against physics and physiology and we have the potential for embolisms and narcosis and decompression sickness and barrel traumas and possible sea life accidents interactions but there's often, I would say, kind of like what we were just talking about, about making your own sandwiches. There's, there's also some dangers that we bring upon ourselves. Whenever you have a skill that you let lax, if that's the right word, yeah, if you don't stay up with it, you'll lose those skills in, uh, in a harsh environment like we were just talking about. If you don't have your scuba skills brushed up, it could, uh, could result in... Not a good dive. And I would say that it's probably not going to be just the one skill that you weren't fresh with. It's that downward spiral, the, 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 the building snowball effect that being rusty on a skill ends up leading to. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's not just one thing. When you're away from your diving, like anything else, just like driving, if you didn't drive for a while, for a year, say... Even though you were used to it every single day, getting back behind the wheel, it's like you've got to get your mind clicked into that um, that mindset. I'm driving, you know. I'm aware of everything again. Yeah, you got to get back into uh, into the flow. We had a you know a good conversation a year or so ago about being in the zone and being in flow. And if you're driving a car in rush hour traffic, getting on and off the expressway, on the highway. And you haven't drove a car at all, even in a residential neighborhood, and, and had the force of making a stop sign on time, let alone all that other stuff going on around you. It, it does. It takes a while to get back into that groove, be back in that zone of driving a car in that environment. 
Right. And and that's the thing with scuba. It's it's not that you're rusty on your mass clearing skills. It's the being able to maintain buoyancy while you have a issue needing to clear a mask and not losing track of your buddy and not falling in into the fire coral along the way or kicking up and stirring up all the visibility and then having that psychological pressure pile on top of you too. It's all that compounded stuff that really gets you. Yeah, and the muscle memory. You have to rebuild that, you know. The reactions, the going for your your gauges, checking your gauges, buoyancy control, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, and um, you you know from past experience of, of dealing with with divers learning along the way, something as simple as unclipping a gauge to <laughs> to look yeah. to look at it is sometimes all it takes to mess up your breathing pattern a little bit, which messes up your buoyancy, which messes up your movement, which just you know five seconds later. Yeah, the, the the divers up on the surface, just from grabbing a pressure gauge to look at. Yeah, or, or you're separated from your team because you had to focus all of your attention on trying to unclip a gauge to look at it, uh, or you know it could be anything where you have to focus all of your attention on it instead of having that muscle memory where it kind of just flows. Yeah, it's right. the it's the awareness stealer is the big problem. Yes, yes, you lose you lose uh, wide focus and and you narrow it down to that one task. And meanwhile, everything else goes to hell. It's weird how it goes that way too. It's like a Murphy's law kind of thing where you can sit there and pay attention during the whole dive, and nothing you know, nobody will separate from you. Nobody will will start swimming away from you. But the moment, (laughs) that one second, you know, 10 seconds that you fumble with your clip, so you're fumbling with it, so you you finally say, I got to look and see what I'm doing. You put your head back up and there's nobody there. Everybody's (laughs) gone. Yeah, yeah. Mother, it's just that one time. I know this from, from photography where there's no way around not taking your focus and narrowing it into your camera for a minute. You have to at points just to adjust the settings on the camera. Yeah. And that's where you hope, you know, that's where having that partner that, and being constantly in the water, having that partner with you that's used to you doing that kind of thing, they understand like, you know, half of you is is taken by this piece of equipment, half of your attention. No, well, the the equipment is another key point, right? Right. Because, I mean, a a free-flowing octo that's shoved in a pocket that you're not aware of is something that can get the better part of you, right? Or, or just being so overwhelmed with, because it's been a couple of years since you've gotten in the water, uh, that you've been diving, something like a fin strap that's about to break that you don't even have the awareness to notice because your mind's so overloaded with all this other stuff going on. You don't, you're not paying attention to the leaking gauge. You're not paying attention to the hissing O-ring behind your head on the on the on the tank valve. Yeah, all these things we're talking about, James, are are the things that go out of your head and, and make the diving a lot more cumbersome and anxiety ridden, I guess you would say, when uh, you're not up on your skills. And you see this when you go 
down to a tropical location and there's a bunch of divers that probably haven't dived much in the past year and you can definitely tell the ones who've had a refresher you know just to brush up on the old even just the nomenclature and the familiarity with the assembly of the equipment and where it's at on you just to get that muscle memory a little bit of dusted off the people that haven't had it they suffer at least the first few dives minimally they suffer with a little bit of anxiety and fumbling around looking like a oaf maximally <laughs> right, i mean right. the other end of the spectrum is bad things could happen to to good people yeah yeah you know it's yes your uh, your regulator is connected to the the tank <laughs> the and tank the BCD, thingy but, the thingy but, on the back of me. but the but the regulator's on backwards and upside down, and now you've got to have the low-pressure hose going over your head to get to the inflator, which is pulling that over. and You know, little stuff like that, and it, it just gets, ah, you'll be fine. You jump in the water, and you hope for the best. And luckily, you know, like you mentioned often, you know, diving can be very unforgiving. But when one little thing goes wrong, and then it starts snowballing, to compound is where we get into the trouble right so i've got a story from early the early 2000s by michael ainge called the danger of unserviced gear we've had we've done michael ainge before haven't we yeah we sure have you know uh in the the early 2000s he was doing a lot of the lessons for life stuff you know Mm -hmm. writing these cool articles of that, you know, there was a time where a lot of the, 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 the big guys didn't want to touch the bad stories. <laughs> you know, it was all glitter and gold and puppy dogs and seahorses, you know, every diving story. So I, I always liked that he was one of those guys that was coming back with the, hey, you got to have your head in the game and pay attention. He also just came out with a book called Diver Down, which is a bunch of real-world scuba accidents and how to avoid them. Yeah, I I saw this one when it came out. I wanted to get it, so I think I will order that right now. Yeah, I need to do the same. I need to order the book. This is definitely one for for the scuba bookshelf. Yeah, I've heard good things about it. Well, much like what you and I were just saying, Mike says here that much dive equipment is life support equipment. And like any other life support equipment, it requires proper care and routine service to do its job. Failing to follow the manufacturer recommendations for equipment care can have tragic results. Take the case Ooh. of Dick. <laughs> big Dick or Little Dick? Big Dick, uh, big Dick Johnson. No, this is Big Dick, because he's he's a little overweight, too. No. This Dick was an advanced diver in his late 40s with well over 100 log dives, we find out, very early on in the story. He sounds a lot. I was probably just, I was an advanced diver in my late 40s. (laughs) And and you did have well over 100 log dives. I did. I stopped logging at 100 and I think at 200. Don't tell anybody that. <laughs> what are you talking about? I've got, I've got, I've got recorded proof of two hundred episodes yeah. that that we we logged logbooks after every show. So there's four hundred more dives. So when they need that that resume 
Actually, I do have, uh, I have them electronically recorded. Yeah, I mean, I've got... And I have them video recorded and photography recorded. I have my recorded. first, I think, three logbooks. Yes. You know, sitting on the shelf there. But now nowadays, I, I, I'm not going to log the 115th time I did the same dive. You know, um, if I do something, if I do something new and exciting and different, you know, I'm actually making a log for it. I, I have an idea. Maybe we should do a little poll page on the website or something. But I'd like to get the demographic of the... Of the actual logging process of... Of people who, who log and people who don't. So you say, do you log if you say yes? You know, whatever you answer, you then you answer the demographic. You know, are you a guy, girl, how long you've been diving, that kind of thing. So just kind of get the demographics. I'm curious. I mean, there's you and I, and I know, and we know a bunch of other people that just don't log every dive. Right. I, I don't. Right. And now, I know I know divers that do log every single dive. Yeah. And I, I was never like a big logger. I wasn't ever like a Ernest Hemingway of logbook writing. Right, I was eighty feet, mm-hmm. thirty minutes. Saw a fish. There's people. I, you know those people. You know those people that have their logbooks, and then they have like added blank pages in because they like write like long paragraphs and. It's, it becomes like a diary. It becomes like right, a, right. a journal. See, I, res- I, I, I like those those people. Like, I really res- have a ton of respect for for those divers that that go through all that work to really recapture that. And I kind of am mad at myself a little bit for not. I'm mad at you too. Doing that, I'm mad at you for not doing that. Because I could go back and like look at those dives that I did years ago and really have it recaptured. As much as like nowadays in my in my age nowadays, how I like reading these stories, it's just I, my brain's so scatterbrained. Like after a dive, there's like a, a, the dive's over. Now I got like thirty other things I'm trying to get done. Well, yeah, the rushed schedule that I know I know I lead, I know you lead. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, you know it's not very often where it's just like okay, dive. You get out of the water, take your gear off, and while it's still fresh in your memory, you're jotting down, you know, the intimate details of the dive. Right, because a lot of those people, they they get back from the dive and they have a like an hour, two hour date with their logbook. You know, they're they're gonna sit there and log. God damn it! I've never had that kind of time available. Well, the other side of it is, it's like okay, you get done with the dive, then the group goes to get get a bite to eat, cocktail kind of thing. It's always the case. Or ninety nine percent of the time, the case. So you're usually socializing. You're not going to ignore anybody yeah, and attend your logbook. Yeah, yeah, we, we, you and I have always had a bit of that. You're the entertainer position, right? I don't, I don't get to like get to pick up a. I don't get to go pick up a bottle of wine and a. a a bundle of flowers and sit down with my love flowers i would say intimate s- intimate session uh, uh, some pipe tobacco glass of wine and you sit in your your leather recliner in your mahogany library uh but you know it would be cool to have saved all that i, I was just thinking uh matthew mcconaughey just wrote a book 
called? Uh, yeah, I think it's called Green Lights. Yeah, Green Lights. Yeah, it's, yeah. Pretty, it's pretty good from what I understand. I've listened to a couple interviews with him. Uh, he, he's kind of a smart cookie, number one, disciplined. And this book is basically his journals of thirty right. some odd years doing movies and and all uh, basically his life. And he he goes and he pulls them out and and uh, goes through them to see where he was mentally. And that's the thing I think is super valuable is looking at that and trying to remember this is where I was in my mental state back then. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. It wasn't a, a great, ah, you know, if you look at it now, it's like, it's like, uh, what are those? Um, well, we have, we have that a little <laughs> bit with, uh, with the log of our show. Like we could go oh, back yes. to episode 10 and that, listen and go, who are these idiots? Well, that, when I look at our body of work, when we go to load it up or publish it, and you go to our website, or even when I'm just going through my computer and I open up the folder of episodes, right? I'm like, damn, we've put uh, we've put some time into this bitch. We have. By the way, you know, did all the taxes and everything, figured out how much we made and profit. We are working cheap, man. We are working cheap. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Love it. It's great. I'm not complaining. Don't get me wrong. But I just wanted to let you know, I did like a calculation in my head figuring how much, how many hours we put in a week and that kind of thing oh, and yeah. how much we've yeah, made profit-wise. Because it's combined into my full income, I don't know what the yeah. tax we paid on it. So I don't really have the how much we netted. That's why I'm going to go back to teaching open water classes. Because <laughs> <laughs> that $8 an hour sounds pretty good right now. Yeah. This is a this is the stepping stone to <laughs> hopefully a real a real job. Agreed. I agree. Uh, never going to happen. I'm Yeah, never going to happen. No, it's the hey, scuba, I'm unemployable. It's the scuba curse. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, Dick Although he was moderately overweight, he considered himself to be in reasonably good physical condition and, and fit to dive. It had been over two years since Dick had been in the water or since he had checked out his scuba equipment when he signed up to go out on a wreck dive. Hmm. Yeah, no problem. I'm certified. I'm certified for life, bitch. Life. You know what that means? Sign me up. Sign me up for a wreck dive. Now, again, like this is something where doing, even going to, let's assume, you know, for our local people, right? Going to the quarry and doing a 90-foot dive for your very first dive in the spring, cold water, all the gear that you need is even that is way different than being out on the back of a boat in the middle of a big body of water going to 90 feet with all that gear right. and cold for your very first dive. right? Because there's all those additional stressors of the confined space, the, the getting in and out of the water in, a, in an orderly fashion with everybody, uh, not being able to just walk back and grab your gloves because you forgot to put your gloves on. You know, being out in big water is a huge difference. Yeah, and and to be honest, I mean, Dick had, quote-unquote, well over 100 log dives, so he figured, I'm golden. I've got this down. I've nailed it. 199 log dives, golden. I could be an instructor. <laughs> I'm way over instructor requirements. Yeah, yeah, the, the question really shouldn't be, 
how many log dives do you have? The, the question should always be, how many log dives do you have in the last calendar year or, or in the last actual year? And where are those dives? What kind of dives are those? I mean, come on. Yeah, no kidding. I've got 100 logged dives in Bonaire, but I'm signed up for a wreck dive in the Great Lakes. It might behoove you. Get, you know, depending on that wreck dive, they, hey, we have yeah. we have every level uh, you could desire here in the Great Lakes. So, but if they're they're going to do a hundred and ten foot wreck dive here, there's a little bit more to it. You, you yeah, know, you never not, know what uh, you run into, too. Right? Yeah, it's it's not linear. No comparison between the two. Yeah, Dick's dive buddy even suggested that he should have his equipment checked out before the dive. And also, uh, hey, uh, by the way, you might want to complete a pool tune-up. Dick. But Dick <laughs> Dick <laughs> thought his buddy was being a real dick by saying that. And he assured him that the equipment it was just serviced before I put it in storage. And it had only been used once, so it should be fine. And Dick also felt that his diving experience precluded the need for any kind of a refresher training. I have 199 dives, well over 100 dives. I could be an instructor twice almost, and then I could be turning out dive masters. Can you believe that? I have 150 dives. I'm turning out dive masters, bitches. Let's go. Now, it is quite possible that you could put your gear away, not use it for two, three years. Pull it out, and it worked perfectly fine. And that's the value of getting good, quality, robust scuba gear. And not just getting uh, some old uh, cheapies, right? Two years of uh, non-rinse salt. I know you see this all the time. You didn't rinse your gear from that last dive. What are you going to open up to? Yeah, I'm telling you. I'm telling you, one dive is all it takes. You, You get your gear service. Literally, one dive in salt water. If you did not get out of the water the proper way, that thing might as well have just been laying in the bottom <laughs> of of the ocean for the last of two years. Of a Morton years, salt container, yeah. It, uh, yeah. it does some damage, man. So the dive that he signed up for couldn't have been any better, they say. Water temps were in the low 80s, so they're definitely not in the Great Lakes. And the seas were flat. Dick and his buddy entered the water and discovered that the wreck was clearly visible 90 feet below them. Wow. And as soon as they descended, Dick's buddy noticed that Dick's first stage was losing several bubbles of air with each breath. Dick also seemed to be having some difficulty breathing from the regulator. However, he was leading the descent and was moving so fast that his buddy couldn't stop the descent to see if everything was okay. Now, again, this is a this is a sign of inexperienced divers. It's a sign of improper training, too. I mean, yeah, the the perpetual plummet upon entry is at some point going to catch up with you and be bad news, right? Having that the inability to stop at ten feet, twenty feet, collect yourself, collect your gear, collect your team, and together on command and on plan make the appropriate descent is what every every dive whether it's a 30 foot dive or a a 200 foot dive that's how it should start right you descend together i mean 
breaking the the dives into sections there there isn't really a time where it's one is more critical than the other to stay together you need to stay together all of it ascent bottom and and well descent bottom and ascent but this is something i see all the time is people jump off the boat they start they both go give the down signal but they do not stay together during that descent right yeah yeah they're they're it's it's an out of control descent that leads to an out of control dive that leads to getting back to the line wondering if your buddy's going to be there too mm-hmm. which for a lot of divers that's they they call it a normal dive <laughs> I know exactly to me it's it's chaos that 80% of the time they get get lucky and and they you know run back into each other you know somewhere around the middle to the end of the dive and you know they they, they crawl up the line together but that's not diving together, in my opinion. No, and it, it gets on my nerves, <laughs> doesn't it? Just like, okay, now I've got to spend my dive looking for someone or follow the proper protocol. You look for a minute, and then you, you ascend and look for the bubbles. Or, but I mean, Well, that's that's what you and I would do. Yeah. Is, is we would be looking for the person, whereas a lot of people, though, they're just so oblivious. They just do the dive. They just do the dive, yeah, yeah, which is, you know, where we run into problems. Here's the thing is so you you have a, a partner you dive with quite frequently and this happens. You lose each other on the descent and the first time you spend the dive looking for each other. All right, it happens again and you spend the time looking, you don't find him and you figure, okay, he's probably all right. He did this before. Boom. So now this is that normalization of deviance that we talk about. Like, okay, we lived through that before. Now this is how we do things. This is just the normal. Yeah. I I, I, I never have my buddy for the first 20 <laughs> minutes. We, we, Why we would I be enter together. Yeah, we enter together. We may even talk about a dive plan and I'll see him back on the boat. Right. <laughs> Well, we we may, we always put together a dive plan. We don't we don't do it, but we put one together before every dive. And if we happen to see each other down there, it's, it's just gravy. That's just gravy. It's a, and it's the, a loose. The meal. It's a loose plan. You know, <laughs> we, uh, it's up to interpretation once we get down there. And it's flexible. It's extremely. It's the most flexible plan you'll ever hear of. It's almost as if there's no plan. Maybe we've been being too hard on ourselves with yes. this whole dive plan thing. Brando, like, maybe we should like, maybe we should flex things up a little bit. <laughs> flex them up, a little flexibility, a little, yeah. Let the creativity w- with the dive just flow through us. You do your thing, I'll do mine. Well, so here's the deal, right? So when we get to the accident part here, making that rapid descent, and, and so many divers, that's what they do. Mm-hmm. Is they've been taught to dump the air out of their BCD, go to the bottom, get neutral, and Kind of start start the dive, which what we're saying is there's that value to controlling the organization of the dive buddy team to be able to stop on the descent at 10, 15 feet. Buoyancy's in check from the very beginning that you can communicate that everything is on go. There is no weird leak that's right. behind your head that you don't even realize or notice what's going on right we can see all that stuff square all that away before it becomes a problem but when you just dump the air out of your bcd and start plummeting to the bottom there's a million things that can go wrong like we're starting to see right now let alone somebody's having some difficulty clearing an ear then the team really gets separated 
uh, and that could lead to a, a ear problem because you're descending too fast, flooded mass. Yeah, there's all kinds of stuff that's going to snowball into the problem. Well, it's rule number one, isn't it? What's rule number one is you are always, always in control of your buoyancy. Yeah. At 60 feet, Dick's movements became erratic, and he began trying to swim back toward the surface. But he either forgot or was unable to inflate his BC, and he continued to sink. Shortly before the divers reached the bottom, Dick's first stage began to bubble violently. Right, and So, I mean, this is the stuff that we were just talking about. This is why there should be a procedure to starting the dive. You jump in, you get down where you're completely submerged so you can see these bubbles. They're not going to just go away. They're, they're probably not going to get better <laughs> <laughs> as the dive goes along. So it's something you need to take care of Immediately, you would want to know right at the beginning of the dive that you're unable to put air into the BCD, <laughs> you, right? You think? Not once you've gotten all the way 100 feet underwater, crashing out of control. So his buddy swam over to donate his octopus, but Dick pushed his buddy away, dropped his weight belt in a frantic attempt to reach the surface. During Dick's rapid ascent, his buddy lost sight of him. And the buddy returned to the dive boat, reporting the difficulties that had occurred. Dick's body was recovered just a few feet from the wreck on the sandy bottom. Tank was empty, his mask was missing, and it appeared that he had drowned. Did he let those weights go? He said he dropped his weight belt. I guess it could be pronoun pronoun usage there. His. No, it says Dick pushed his buddy away and dropped his weight belt. So he has no weight belt and he's sunk? I would assume that he was unable to get any gas into his BCD. But still, he's in a he wetsuit. He, he dumped his weights. Now he's diving in 80-degree water. Oh, he may not have. Right, yeah. so he, still, he might only have. He's overweight, so he probably floats. I, you would think so, but if you... And an empty tank is positively buoyant. Okay, so, so let's. So if he f- drowns though and f- fully fills his lungs with water, well, that takes some time. But I mean, okay. Well, I mean, we're. I think reaching. I. I'm trying to figure out why he had. He sunk to the bottom, but I mean, most of the time bodies float if they don't have weights on them. Um. Yeah. So he's probably didn't have enough of a uh, weight to drop to to really get buoyant is the only thing I could speculate. Hmm. Okay. I'm just curious. I'm more curious. That's one of the things that stick out to me is he, I mean, this is what the lawyers say is the catch all that if anybody dies, you know, they should have dropped their weight belt and they'd be on the surface. Well, here we have a dropped weight belt and he didn't get to the surface or he didn't stay on the surface. So their catch all isn't always a catch all. No. Well, clearly not. Well, clearly there's not. more. There's more. More to yeah. to proper waiting. Yeah, but most of the time, and I mean ninety nine point nine percent of the time, single tank diver, BCD, overweight. Even if he's not wearing a wetsuit, you have a hard time getting them down. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, I suppose we could speculate on it all day, but uh, the, the the fact that we have here, as far as how it's being reported, is. His body was recovered a few feet from the wreck on the bottom. So even dropping his weights, he was unable to get buoyant. Okay, so that tells you he's overweighted, 
right off the bat. If you can drop your weights and you still can't sing or can't float. <laughs> oh, yeah. You're, yeah. If you have. You're overweighted somehow. If you've got a BCD with integrated weights mm-hmm. and the pockets hold 30 pounds and you need six, even yanking, you know, one of those 10-pound pockets out, you know, it, it's not going to be enough. The autopsy report indicated that Dick died from heart failure, probably induced by severe strenuous activity. Now, that's something that, that you bring up all the time, right, is that hard work for somebody who's not used to that hard, intense, vigorous exercise, all of a sudden needing to work really hard, struggling to breathe, and the, the, the classic over-breathing the regulator, which leads to cardiac arrest. Yeah, it's a CO2 buildup. But I, I think there's more to it. I think there's more to it we don't understand because of the prevalence of, of heart attacks in scuba diving. Um, I think there's more to it. Personally, when you keep reading accident after accident and it's a heart attack, there's, there's a pattern there. Why are cardiac arrests so prevalent in scuba diving? You could just say, oh, yeah, everybody's a fat pig and are out of shape. But No, it's a, I, w- I would say that it's a, a CO2-induced... Has something to do with it, I'd imagine. Uh, right, I mean, uh, you, to the you, especially you get down at depth mm-hmm. a little bit. You've got the the increased resistance of of moving through the water column instead of air. Yeah, I, I still think there's even more physiologically going on that we don't understand, that we don't know, because we still, I mean, hyperbaric medicine isn't. <laughs> It isn't an exact science. There's a lot of theory, and there's a lot of we don't know what's going on. In addition to that, Dick's regulator was inspected, and it showed that he had significant corrosion in the inlet filter and on the internal piston assembly, indicating that salt water had entered the regulator prior to his storage, like we talked about earlier. Right. Like not taking care of that regulator after the dive, letting some salt water in there. I mean... You've you've been servicing regulators yes. for years. You've seen those regulators that are just so thick with green corrosion built up on the inlet filter. You you wonder how any air even gets into the regulator at all. Oh yeah, when you can't even disassemble it because the regulator is, for all intents and purposes, become just a solid chunk of corroded metal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's uh, there's. 20 pieces to that first stage, <laughs> but it's one piece it's one now. Piece, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's not coming apart. You just chuck the whole thing into the uh, ultrasonic cleaner and, and some vinegar and mm. water and just You hope please. it vibrates enough that yes. you could open it. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, you, it's crazy because you see that all the time. People that would be willing to get in the water with a piece of life support equipment that's in that bad a shape. Now, they... W- they won't drive to the dive site with their tire pressure being five pounds <laughs> too low. But once they get to the boat, they're going to take that lowest possible performing piece of equipment and just take it on a 100-foot dive. I, again, it goes to uh, <laughs> that over 100 dives isn't enough experience, A, to be any, in any leadership position, uh, but, <laughs> but B... To be thinking you don't need a refresher, you don't need to keep up on your skills to do an advanced dive. Yeah, right. Because, I mean, this isn't a 30-foot max depth shore entry 
dive where we can just ease into some water, stand up, you know, if we're starting to realize there's a problem right away. This is a completely different dive. The filter corrosion alone, they say, was enough to decrease the gas flow by 75%. And the O-ring that seals around the primary piston in the first stage had suffered catastrophic failure as the result of some abrasion, probably also caused by the corrosion. So if you've got that O-ring getting worn and torn because it's trying to move past salt (laughs) crystals and corrosion and basically jagged metal that's supposed to be a nice, smooth, clean, well-lubricated so that there is no resistance so that uh, the regulator can actually function and perform. Yeah, now, now we're losing gas here. Can't breathe. Yeah, destroys an O-ring. If you don't have complete smooth cylinder for that piston to move up and down in, the O-ring will be destroyed quickly. He says that it seems likely that as Dick dropped below 33 feet, the volume of air he required for normal breathing exceeded what the regulator in its state of disrepair could even deliver. And I like how he brings up that this created a physiological stress that increased Dick's breathing rate. His rapid attempts to breathe from the regulator caused the damaged first-stage piston O-ring to fail, quickly depleting his air supply. The physiological stress became too much for Dick, and he suffered a heart attack. I would say the CO2 buildup from working to breathe. Yeah, agreed. uh, Was huge, huge factor in this, but I don't see the word CO2 mentioned. But this is a true case of over-breathing your regulator. Yeah, no doubt about it. It doesn't really happen as much as people believe, right? There, You hear it all the time. I went to 120 feet, and I was over-breathing my regulator. Well, I would suggest that you were you have poor technique, probably. You were working. 90, 99% of the yes. time, it is, it is a technique problem, it's a working. not the regulator. This case, however, What's is... Exactly. <laughs> it was. This is, yeah. you know... This is equipment-induced, right? It's like trying to go for a jog and breathing through a straw. That's exactly right. Instead of being able to take big, full breaths of air, you know? So you you can't manage the CO2 while you're on that jog. The the thing is, though, with a jog, you can stop jogging and pull the straw to your mouth, and you can catch your breath. When you're 100 feet underwater on scuba and you're a human being with lungs— it's a different game. Right. And this, and I, I'm trying to point out for our, our listeners, because I know we have a lot of newer diver listeners, that, you know, the, the quote unquote over breathing your regulator feeling that people get versus this, where it's actually over breathing your regulator because 75% of the gas is being restricted because of a crappy rag, right? Versus yeah. a regular rag that's in good repair that's working. And is delivering plenty of gas to you, but you can't get your breath because that CO2 buildup. And that's what—that's where they get that feeling like my rag just couldn't supply enough air for me. Right? No, it's not that. Even the—I mean, even the cheapest regulator on the market today is going to be able to perform in ninety feet of eighty degree water and give you plenty of gas, more than you could ever demand from it, if it's. In working order. You've got to throw that caveat in there, obviously. But, but, James, even with that working order reg, you might feel like it's not because our drive to breathe is the, is the CO2 content in our blood. 
and it's the partial pressure of CO2, which increases with depth. That's what I'm trying to get across to the newer listeners that I know, or the newer diver listeners, that I know don't understand the over-breathing the reg thing. Yes, it's a physiological problem. Not mechanical. Or... In this case, it's a mechanical, it's a mechanical problem. Right, right. It's you know the, the assumption by the by the inexperienced diver is the same thing. Mm-hmm. I can't get air out of this regulator, but there's it's not just one reason for that. There's multiple reasons. It could be your lack of technique and ability. You're working. Or in this case, yeah. Or in this case, it's it is equipment. You're trying to breathe through a straw. But yeah, I mean, typically uh, this doesn't happen super often. Yeah, this is the exception to the general rule i would say the general rule is the divers working way too hard and they think they can't get enough air all right so mike gives us a couple of lessons that we should be learning from this number one piston regulators control the flow of air by the use of sharp metal edges pressing into synthetic seats under spring or air pressure tension and even when not in use Degradation of the seats can occur. First and second stage seats should be serviced annually to prevent catastrophic failure. It's just like if you were to park your car out behind the garage for a couple of years, even though you're not putting 50,000 miles on those tires. They're aging. (laughs) Those tires are aging sitting out there, you know. In the weather and in the in the shit. And the same thing's happening with those seats. I mean, you've got like sharp metal edges that are digging into soft rubber seats, you know, in that second yeah. stage. And they're going to wear whether you're using them or not. Yeah. So let me ask you this, James. I know it's recommended. I don't do it because, well, I, I probably use my gear a lot more. Anyway, do you take your uh, your purge button and, and press it down when you store your, your regs for any given amount of time just so that it keeps that cone not being pressed into the seat? No, I don't. But Yeah, neither do I. It, that used to be a thing back mm-hmm. in the day. I mean, a lot of regulators would come. With that little, yeah, plastic piece. Right. The idea was so just to preserve the life of that seat. I think the smarter thing here that we've learned over the years is diving regularly enough that you can have the awareness of what your equipment is, you know, what, what kind of shape your equipment is in and what it's performing. Right. You're not just so overwhelmed with just getting in the water that you have the mental space free because you're active enough that you can pick up on this stuff. Yeah, plus the more you use that second stage, I guess the more time that that razor edge is off of the seat, every time you inhale, it goes off, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, the, the worst thing for your regulator is to sit. really is to sit there, right? Because I mean, a lot of those second stages are balanced in a way that once you pressurize them, you're taking the heavy load off of the seat. He mentions that internal O-rings are made of synthetics or rubber compounds that dry and crack with age, even if they're not being used. And these O-rings should be inspected and lubricated and replaced annually. That's the, the purpose of getting your regulator serviced. I love diving with a fresh serviced rag, the, the confidence in it. Actually, yes. about three dives after a fresh service rag, I have the utmost confidence in it. Yeah, no kidding. You know? uh, there's always... A potential for a little bit of concern on the when you've taken the whole thing apart and putting it all back together again, and that first first dive, making sure that everything is a okay. That's you, you. You gotta you gotta give it everything a little bit of a shakedown, and that comes from just being a regularly active diver. He says salt crystals 
from just a few drops of seawater can significantly decrease the flow capacity of a regulator's inlet filter. That filter should be inspected, serviced, and replaced annually, right? We see see the pattern here is that stuff needs to be in working order at all times. He says salt water can cause significant corrosive damage to internal regulator components and lead to regulator failure. It's critical that divers take care when cleaning their equipment after each dive to keep the interior components dry by either rinsing the regulator while it's connected to a tank or while the dust cover is securely in place. Yeah, to keep uh, anything from getting into that first stage body, right? And he says once again that annual maintenance will generally catch minor lapses before significant internal damage is done to the regulator. That's the main point of, of regulator service, in my opinion, is, is to check and make sure that while you haven't been diving since your last trip to the Caymans, that a bunch of trouble isn't brewing inside that first stage that you can't see. Yeah, the aging of the components and, and or you got salt and in, in introduced to the internal portions of the, right, the first stage. Uh, yeah. That's, you're right. That's, that's the big thing you're looking for, so... And just like there's two kinds of divers out there that with the log books, like we were talking about earlier, with the the the, the poetic writer versus the the jotter downer, uh, right? There's two types of divers that are getting their gear serviced that I see. Yeah, there's either the you know I don't ever get it serviced until it's popping and hissing and uh-huh. bubbling and spewing and cracking and right. I better get my reg serviced diver. And then there's the diver that brings it in for a full maintenance before every trip they take. You know, they're, they're getting the things completely serviced three times a year. Most divers, and this is the other part, right, beyond just the equipment, right, is that even those with health problems are probably fit enough to dive when everything in the dive goes right. But again, what we're seeing here is that other effect of when emergencies occur, divers need to be considerably more fit in order to respond safely, right? It's it's not being fit to dive so that we can make the assumption that nothing will go wrong and it's just going to be a nice, easy drift dive in perfect conditions. You need to get in the water with that assumption that things can and might go wrong. And if you start every dive in shape mentally and emotionally and physically and and equipmently with the assumption that things are going to go wrong on the dive, that's only going to prepare you to be in a better place if something little goes wrong. As far as the lessons for life, I mean, these are, these are all important factors that contribute it. But, uh, I mean, this isn't really like the underlying reason there was a, a problem. The underlying reason had to do with the way the person approaches diving. Yeah. The, I mean, this dive... Should have been headed off way before he got in the water. No doubt about it. Right? He should have listened to his buddy and gotten the tune-up on his gear and on himself. He should have been able to be in control of the situation before it got to him plummeting into 90 feet of water. Right? The, the buddy team had a breakdown where they were unable to rescue the other one. 
and everybody just kept pushing forward and pushing forward and and going on with things that that's the perpetual motion that that tends to occur with scuba is it's so it, it seems like everything in diving is that ball on the hill just waiting to get pushed or touched right like looking at it from a gareth point of view as far as the approach to the dive and the uh the uh mindset it's just not there and you know as i say all the time the fact that this guy thinks you know i have over 100 dives i'm well experienced that goes to i think in my humble opinion is a statement about his training his initial training and his approach to diving realizing 100 dives ain't squat right he's got some overconfidence issues there you go that were, was never put into place with him in his initial instruction. I could easily see that. Well, hey, everybody, don't be a dick. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, get, your, get your gear service for crying out loud. And go take a scuba review. Call up your local dive shop. Go see your favorite local instructor. And get your scuba tune up so you can be diving safely this season. I just remembered what I was going to talk about, James. I was going to ask you something. Like, when you jump in the water with someone, and, and if that person said to, said to you, James, you haven't been in the water in a couple of years, why don't you take a refresher, check your gear out kind of thing. If that person said that to you, would you ignore them? Or would you take that to heart and say, well, maybe there's something to this? I know if I had said that to someone and they didn't do it, and I'd be in the water with them— it just wouldn't be comfortable. Yeah, of course not. Like you got to realize that your demeanor in the water and your attitude in the water has an effect on my comfort. Right. And your approach to diving has an effect on your comfort. Your- Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That that I mean that's we choose to engage in a team activity and if you don't have a good teammate it doesn't make for a very good team well there you go i mean and that's what i'm getting at is who just kind of brushes that off and the fact that they still kind of went out i know i wouldn't want to do this to my team to the people i dive with is just say yeah i haven't been in the water on the other hand i mean i think both you and i a lot of the people we dive with if we haven't been in the water we that's why we have our little watering holes here our little mud mud puddles as we want to call them you know i was just in last night i'm with bottles i'm 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 doing a 40 foot dive but i've got stage bottles deco bottles scooters and cameras also i can get into the swing of the season coming up where i'll be carrying all that shit with me so i i don't go oh yeah i haven't had a a scooter two you know two deco bottles and a camera on me in a while let's go do this 180 foot dive no, I wouldn't do that. Right, right, right. And I know that's a little ex- to the extreme side of it, but I wouldn't even do that. Like, I wouldn't go jump into 100 feet of water with my camera without being in the water and and just working with my camera and diving at the same time just to get back in the swing of it. Yeah, because you know that that you're going to be a burden on me as well as yourself, right? That's the other part that, that you have in your head that a lot of people don't take into account is they think it's about them i'm fine i'm okay and they they take for granted the fact that they have a teammate in the water for a reason and there's there's a give and take on that on that team end it doesn't matter if it's a bowling team or a rugby team or a dart league team teammates are teammates and everybody's got a job to do so it makes everybody better right i agree yeah there you go so hey 
don't be a dick, people. Don't be a big dick. Get out there and get your gear serviced. Go get your tune-up so that you, too, can be a good quality dive team ready for a good, fun dive season. God damn it. Well, all right. You ready to... uh, you ready to sign some logbooks, Brando? Let's let's sign these bitches. <laughs> this is the only. I you got, wish I a, signed logbooks more often. You have an extra piece of paper for me today. Yes, uh, you're gonna really write this one up. Yeah, the water today was a azure blue of reflecting reflecting hues of dark purples to aquamarine acquiescence of loveling passion and flowing water the cool sensation brushed my skin like a puppy dog giving me a kiss <laughs> okay hang on hang on this pen's out of this pen's out of ink yeah. you thankfully thankfully it's out of ink <laughs> uh here's here's a little more along my lines is dived Dived today. Dived today. Excellent. Cheers. Peace out. All right, everybody. We'll talk to you later. See you next week. Safe diving, folks.